Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, where we're talking comics. We're talking Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, Part 5 by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're back again talking comics right in the middle of our Iron Fist run because the latest issue of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, issue number five, just came out. Uh, this one's by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas once again. And I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders, Sorcerers Supreme. Uh, welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. I am one of your other hosts, John. Mm-hmm. And we're back with a bumper episode. Dare we say it? Yes. Not only do we have the latest issue of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, but we are going to do our first double header, mm-hmm. and we will be reviewing Web of Venom, Venom, by Donny Cates, Juanan Ramirez, and Philippe Sobrario. Mm-hmm. Yes, and why are we doing that? Because Nick Fury's in there, and if we're going to have a double header for Strange Tales on Defender TV Podcast, it's going to have to be Doctor Strange on one side and Nick Fury on the other. Nick Fury is the big guest star in this issue of Web of Venom, Venom. Venom. Or Venom, yeah. So we're going to the forests of Vietnam mm-hmm. and into the cold reaches of space uh, for this episode of Strange Tales. So we hope you enjoy the spoiler-filled review and our journey into space and, of course, into the jungle. But these will be two completely separate reviews, so if you only have... Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, number five. You can listen to that review, and then we'll be pausing it for a mo, and then you can go and read Web of Venom and come back to us for the other issue discussion. We won't be cross-pollinating the two after this point, so don't worry about it. But speaking of cross-pollination, if you're interested in the Marvel Netflix Defenders, then please head on over to catch our Season 2 review and discussion of Iron Fist over on Defenders TV Podcast. We hope you've been enjoying Iron Fist on Marvel Netflix. And of course, whilst you're at it, fellow Defenders and the Supremes, please um, head on over and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other magical or mystical podcast catcher of your choice you can just head on over to defenderstvpodcast.com and subscribe through any of the subscribe links there or just go to your favorite podcast catcher on with the issue details derek what have we got yep this issue as always written by mark wade artwork on the book by jesus says and the cover art on this one don't know whether you've seen the cover on this one john since we normally get it digitally uh, but this one was done by javier garon and dean white a very dynamic moment of Doctor Strange being attacked on the front cover of the book. That yes. doesn't necessarily pertain to something inside the book, unfortunately. No, time. but it's high drama yeah. uh, and it's fantastic artwork. Yeah, really vibrant. Mm-hmm. There is the enchantments of Doctor Strange there. I think I see a an angled seal of Vishanti, which is important is. in this issue of Doctor Strange. It is, but let's get into the actual issue itself. John, do you want to tell us the synopsis that Mark Wade gave us on the front of this issue? Sure. 
Stephen Strange and his new friend Kana, an archaeologist, continued their cosmic jaunt seeking magical artifacts while rebuilding Doctor Strange's skills, confidence, and unfortunately his ego. Recently, during a rescue mission to save Eofran, a skilled craftsman of magical artifacts, Strange's arrogance caused him to stay and fight rather than escape. Kana was able to transport them out of danger, but only Strange and Eofran made it out. Now, stranded on an unknown planet, Strange must humble himself and learn from Eofran if they should ever hope to rescue Kana, who has been imprisoned by Roxnor and made to take Eofran's place in the construction of a massive weapon. Yeah, I'm having a little struggle with uh, Eofran. Keep saying Efren. Is that just because of Zac Efron, is it? Probably. <laughs> but like Zac Efron, someone in this issue also gets their abs out. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, the MCU abs have landed in the comics universe. Yeah, I would say they probably came from comic books first, didn't they? That's uh, kind of everybody in comic books had uh, were muscle-bound when they probably didn't need to be. But Doctor Strange does get a proper workout in this issue. He's doing lots of manual labour. Uh, as always, fellow defenders, if you haven't listened to us before, the way we go through the podcast and the way we go through our discussion points is we pick out five incantations, five moments from this issue, or things we want to talk about about this issue, which tell us the things we enjoy about this book. So now that John's given us the synopsis of what's happened so far in the story of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, let's go on to incantation number one. Forger of mystic weapons. Doctor Strange, no longer just the Sorcerer Supreme who throws out an incantation, he is now making weapons, and they are these supreme and mystic weapons that he would have used in the past, but these are all of strange weapons. Oh yeah, this was really good, and it was one of the things so, so excited to to find out more about um, after that sort of tantalising hint that Eofran was going to uh, choose her Doctor Strange in the art of weapon building, but not just any old weapon. Magical weapons imbued with mystical powers and incantations. This was really, really nice. I really enjoyed it. I loved how you have the reference back to Stephen Strange learning to become the Sorcerer Supreme in the first place from the Ancient One. Just the idea of his teaching to become a med student as well and ultimately the world-renowned neurosurgeon this was kind of back to basics uh, for Stephen Strange but it was physical labor it was hard work you can just imagine that Doctor Strange tried to avoid that or should I say a young Stephen tried to avoid that kind of stuff as as a kid which he kind of references here so Eofran is giving him a lot of skills and Stephen is becoming very skilled in the art of, of building these uh, magical weapons. Mm-hmm. I really like the touch there that you see Eofran in the background kind of asleep a lot of the time throughout these panels where you see uh, Stephen working so hard to build and forge these new mystical weapons. You know, you get that kind of flashback and thought back to Stephen working really hard in college and working really hard to learn everything about the Sorcerer Supreme. And now he's learned this new task or this new skill that he's never even thought about before. He's learning to use this to 
create these weapons which will now become his new form of magic. I love this idea. I think it's really cool that, you know, Stephen will work through everything if there's something new to learn at the end of this rainbow that he's been taken down, you know. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's really cool. He, you know, we, we see here that he's melding together the the incantations that he's learnt from Earth with you know, elements from outer space into these weapons and tools. Mm-hmm. He, he's using incantations that he he knows, but new incantations that he's discovered whilst he's been planet hopping with Kana previously. Yeah. So there's some new stuff coming here. And I think ultimately, I think this brings us on to incantation number two. Mm-hmm. We get the sword, or should I say the scalpel of strange mm-hmm. um what a great moment that is in this comic where you know we've heard how he is using these new skills he's being uh, taught by Eofren, but that it all comes back to you know those fateful moments of him being a, a top-notch neurosurgeon that that skill is lost with the accident and the damage to his hands and here um, you know he brings it back to what he knows which is magic mixed with medicine mm-hmm. uh, with the scalpel of strange it looked pretty pretty cool it seems like it's able to cut through space uh, into different parts of space mm-hmm. maybe ultimately he can also cut through to different realms as well it's like opening up a wound or a doorway uh, to these different uh, realms through slicing his scalpel of strange across space. Yes. Uh, really very cool. Um, I, ju- I just thought this was really unexpected. I-, I thought it was going to be sort of newer versions of old objects that had been imbued with power. You know, you, we've got his axes, there's the staff of Saltine, all these different things. But here he creates his own novel, new weapon magical weapon which was just really cool loved well, exactly. it exactly yeah yeah i love that and love that that's the point of what eofren's trying to teach him is why use the staff of saltine when you can have the staff of strange when you can have the mystical objects of strange that he created with his knowledge and imbued with his powers it's a really cool idea it's like creating a lasting legacy now for stephen strange to pass on to generations of future Sorcerer Supreme that things that he's created will now live on in the magical world. Cool idea. And much better than the arrogance of Strange that we thought he was going to pass on and and continue. Or at least name a weapon after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> much better than that. But these, these new weapons that he's created um, come in very, very handy for him. And I think with that, on to incantation number three. The Magistane who have Kana uh, held captive release their weapon on Earth. Yeah. This vengeance, this this revenge that they're looking to do, ultimately they head to Earth to release this weapon uh, against it in order to wipe out and destroy planet Earth. It's a great moment where you have an astral projection or broadcast as Kana where she's getting in contact with Stephen Strange. He's been so worked up in learning all these new skills from Eofren that he almost misses this broadcast. He thinks that it's going to be a conversation with Kana, but luckily she's gotten to know him relatively well. And she says, this isn't a dialogue. This is a broadcast. 
She goes that Roxnor is heading to Earth and that he has genocide on his mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, That this is not just simply some kind of takeover of planet Earth. This is to wipe it out. This is genocide. This is annihilation. Um, Yeah. So really cool. I love, again, these two characters are really nice together. And I like the fact that they were able to bring it into this issue through Kana using her own sort of skills. Um, I think she uses some kind of device, actually, to astral project, or at least to hologram project, um, Mm -hmm. to Stephen Strange. We're not entirely sure uh, whether it's an astral projection or whether it's simply holographic, but I think it's probably holographic, given that she's got some kind of device that she's speaking into and using. Um, But this alerts Stephen then to effectively come to the rescue uh, and to start putting his weapons into practice yes. against the Magistane. Yes, help me, Stephen Strange, you're my only hope, I think. <laughs> yeah, it might could have been be. coming out from Canada there. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, do, I do really like this. We talked about this last issue that the Magistane haven't exactly explained why they hate Earth so much. We mentioned that it does have something to do with the Runaways comic books where the Magistane were in before. Potentially, Mark Wade is leaving it pretty open here. I think this might be the last issue we're going to see the Magistane in because of what happens towards the end. It might be the last time we see them for a while anyway. Um, but it's a really interesting idea that what we hear from Roxnor as Stephen arrives is that he's threaten- threatening to kill Kana, even though she did build the bomb that's going to destroy Earth. He just goes... Right, now that that job's done, once that bomb explodes, you're out the airlock in a second. So even though she cooperated with everything that he wanted from her, he's not going to keep her on board as now the weapons maker for the Magistane or anything like that, or put her back in prison or anything like that. He's just going to throw her out the airlock. Um, So luckily, Stephen arrives as soon as he does. It's not like, you know, the the slow boat from uh, from off the other end of the galaxy to get him back to Earth. He can just now use his scalpel of strange to cut a little hole in space and traveled straight through yeah but i mean he has also some new gauntlets that he uses that he can simply swat away all the um the soldier magistane Mm -hmm. he's also then able to implant ideas into canna's mind to Mm. and instructions as to what he wants her to do interesting because i was questioning that it seemed like when he arrives back he's so much more in control of the situation he's really easily taking back the mantle of sorcerer supreme and the confidence is properly renewed. That whole idea of Stephen Strange is here now, he's got new powers, and he's fully confident in using them. It seemed like he was transferring telepathically messages to Kana, but I don't know whether he was controlling her. It just seems like she's willingly going along with his um, instructions. So I was wondering, is it just because of how confident Stephen is, or is she doing things that she wouldn't necessarily do at new suggestions from Stephen? I think she's following the instructions that he's implanting because she's still challenging him. Mm-hmm. She's still got, um, you know, her own mind and her own thoughts, yeah. but she knows exactly what to do. Um, and I, I, th- th- that was really cool. You know, they, they go out onto a spacecraft. The weapon has been launched. It's 15 seconds and Stephen Strange is on the back of this little kind of shuttle spaceship mm-hmm. uh, with his scalpel of strange uh, and you know u- uses it to draw or to cut the symbol of vishanti into space over earth to stop the the missile that has been released by Roxnor mm-hmm. um hitting earth so so cool really really enjoyed that and of course when they get back to the 
spaceship after that. Just seeing that symbol over Earth is so cool, isn't it? That's been used as the window for Doctor Strange's um, Sanctum Santorum before. Yes. It's used as the main symbol. I think we even used it on our artwork. We used that symbol. Yeah. Or part of it in this episode. Um, but it's great to see that drawn in space because you're wondering, you know, Doctor Strange is saying, I've given you a very specific course. You must follow this course. And she's dodging bullets. Kana's dodging uh, lasers, dodging bullets from the uh, Magistane, trying to keep them alive. But Stephen is adamant she must follow the course, must follow exactly what he's doing. And effectively, he's drawing a gigantic protective incantation in space to protect the Earth here, you know? Yeah. It's quite interesting that we, you don't you don't hear that until it's revealed in that wonderful panel, um, seeing that. I love I love that little moment, and it's, it just works so well in comic books. I love that, you know, they can just have these conversations between two characters, and you don't realise, of course, because you're not seeing the motion, you don't realise exactly what's going on until they do the big reveal. Really nice choice here. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and he then sends Roxner back to his planet using his scalpel again mm-hmm. to cut uh, the space fabric so that it, he effectively chucks him back uh, to his own planet uh, because, you know, it is death before dishonor for Roxner and the Magistane, and he has been given reprieve, so he hasn't been able to die with honor. And we see this as a better punishment, I think, than Stephen has dealt out in the last few issues, because we saw Stephen, you know, punishing a planet who said they would attack Earth, not by stopping them flying, by closing them off from all life outside of their planet forever. You know, very much big, broad brushstrokes in the past. In this case, he throws Roxner back to his planet because he's now dishonored and then turns around to the rest of the Magistane and says, anybody else challenge me now, basically. So it is Roxnor that's punished, not the entire race of the Magistane. It's him that led the, led the attack. He gives up expecting death and Stephen punishes him by sending him back to his own planet without the rest of his race. So, nice. nice yeah, touch. really good. R- really nice touch. And mm. um, I, I love the moment, actually, as well, where Kana's like, what are you asking me to do? You know, they're being fired on. She's she's having to dodge bullets, you know, stop the, the ship that they're in mm-hmm. from being blown up. And she goes, I've not even been to this planet, you know, and you're asking me to risk my life for it. So that, that mm-hmm. was really nice. I do like these two together. But his odyssey, it would seem, is at an end here. I do uh, love that. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice little line from Mark Way just to say, set us up for the thing you're not expecting, really, which is incantation number four. His odyssey is over. Yes, this Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxies. Odyssey is over. And we finally, after five issues, we finally find out who our narrator is and why he knows so much about this story if it's not Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. The reason why is because he's narrating the story to our favourite ghost dog that we've ever had in any comic book. Um, Little Bats is hearing the story from his owner, Dr. Stephen Strange. Um. That was a nice reveal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so, so good. I was like, what? Uh It was just really, really good. So incantation number four is our Doctor Strange from space returns to Bleecker Street only Mm. to see a second Doctor Strange. This is getting very strange, (laughs) very Doctor Strange. But dare I say it for fans of Doctor Strange, you love one Doctor Strange Sure, why not put two in there? This is really, really nice. 
he looks like the Doctor Strange from Donny Cates' run. You know, he has yeah. the the blue outfit, predominantly blue outfit. He's got the grey hair. As I say, you know, we've seen the muscles of Strange earlier in this issue. Uh-huh. He looks a much more dapper, kind of sharp suit type of Doctor Strange. This Doctor Strange at Bleecker Street, talking with bats, is scruffy. You know, a lot scruffier. Uh, it, no, he's scruffier. Yeah, yeah he's scruffier. Yeah. He looks scruffy. <laughs> scruffy. But having just seen the Captain Marvel trailer uh, recently, and obviously our favorite shapeshifters in the world uh, are the, um, you're kind of like going, is this a scroll thing? Well, can I just point out that back in issue three or our review of issue three, I did point out that I was wondering whether possibility is in here that a scroll took the place of Doctor Strange, mind wiped, wondered why it didn't have any magic, and has now gone out to learn magic and has become Stephen Scroll Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. You know, I was wondering whether that's what had happened. Do you know what I love even more? One of our friends over from the Into the Night podcast had read the first issue of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy number one, back before we did, back before we started doing our reviews of these issues. And the only message he sent to me was, have you read Mark Wade's run? He's thrown everything out that Donny Cates had done and started all over again. But it is really a fun idea that he's done. And now, five issues in, with this reveal back in Bleecker Street, that actually, it's a very different Doctor Strange. What a great way that Mark Wade set up the book. Yeah, no, absolutely. He set it up to to land at this point here where we now have the two Doctors in Bleecker Street. Yeah, Great. because the, the Donny Cates version of the Doctor is the sat in the armchair speaking with bats. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really, really good. And yeah, we'd been wondering who this guy that had led himself into Bleecker Street was sat in the shadows, uh, who he was, what he was doing, and why bats felt so comfortable talking to him and that's because here we have dr strange mark ii you know likely that derek is right in that we have the scroll dr strange after Stephen and canna had visited the scroll planet and so this is kind of really really interesting and of course the issue goes no further than that. Of it's course. like, wait till issue number six, ladies and gentlemen. Of so course. really, really good. You know, there are so many possibilities here. I think, you know, as we are uh, also going to be looking at Nick Fury, maybe an LMD. Maybe, maybe, maybe an astral projection that disappeared into space. Uh, something like that was left behind by Stephen Strange. Potentially a scroll, but that's probably, as we say, only because of Captain Marvel this week and a lot of talk about scrolls quite recently that that's definitely in our head. Um, but there's loads of other options, so many possibilities, as always, uh, within the Doctor Strange universe. It could be absolutely anything. It could be something that was trapped in the past. It could be a time-traveling Doctor Strange. Yep. So it could be exactly the same character. What I do love is their little reference to Doctor Who, of course. You did notice that, of course, yep. the next issue was the two Doctors, which would be traditionally, <laughs> yeah. as two versions of the Doctor Who character meet, traditionally it's called the two Doctors, the three Doctors, the five Doctors, whatever. So in this case, they're now going to do the two Doctor Stranges. So what a fantastic, fantastic uh, issue. It, think- it really was good. Two Doctor Stranges for me and Rippling Abs uh, entering into the 
comic book world as well for Doctor Strange. Of course. <laughs> well, let's just get on to our final incantation because our final incantation usually is favourite artwork, our dialogue within the comic book. Um, the one thing, obviously, that stood out to me was the symbol of the Vashanti above yeah. Earth. Beautiful shot again, but loads of great stuff here. You can really tell how Jesus says is drawing Doctor Strange in this book. Uh, you can tell the confidence is welling back up inside him, and it's not the arrogance that we saw in previous issues you could tell that as well when that was building that kind of fun side of you know the the gallant dr strange rushing into all situations in this it's just i'm learning new things and i'm getting bloody good at it you can really tell from how he's drawing those panels really great stuff from as you say yeah definitely yeah the the symbol of the vishanti over earth protecting it just so nicely done. I loved all the the artwork around Eofran and the Forge and mm-hmm. Doctor Strange learning. And that wasn't just because he had his biceps and and his and his abs out. But I just love the fact that, you know, they reference his damaged hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, it is this this new beginning for Doctor Strange where he's learning this skill to imbue the magic uh, into objects and and weapons and that ultimately we get this scalpel of strange which he then uses to protect uh canna so i i thought those panels in the forge with the offering were really really well done Mm -hmm. uh with really nice touch points back to um him as a doctor a surgeon the accident uh, and him as a student uh, learning again a new skill a new magical skill um you know from eofran in this case uh, rather than the ancient one so uh, really nice and two very distinctive looking doctor strangers at the end of yeah. the book as well uh, any particular dialogue that jumps out to you i think it was a, real, a really well written issue overall but any particular dialogue that jumps out to you for this issue yeah again just the the wittiness of bats i mean you have to love bats so of that dialogue was just superb and i think the the dialogue between canna and and dr strange is is really nicely done for mm. sure yeah excellent i was going to save this for notes but it is actually dialogue john a great one in here from Mark Wade. A nice pull from the history of Doctor Strange. Curse me for a novice makes this reappearance back in this book. You will have heard that many, many times or seen that many, many times back in the old Doctor Strange books. It's a pretty popular phrase from Stephen Strange. It's one that's used for names of forums and blogs and stuff for years. Curse me for a novice. It's something that's just been used many, many times. It's about as kind of up there with the by the hoary hosts of Helgoth. It's kind of that level of yeah, phrase absolutely. from Doctor Strange. Yeah. Just the minute I saw it in the book, I was kind of going, I recognise that. That has to be his old catchphrase, right? <laughs> and we have Stephen Strange as a novice in the book, so perfect time. Yes, a catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good. Uh, I mean, in terms of further reading suggestions, you know, this is kind of wrapping up the arc as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, we do see the... Um, second doctor here uh kind of the donny cates version i suppose we're calling him mm-hmm. sat in the armchair at bleaker street so you know if you haven't yet read donny cates's damnation issues of doctor strange you know this might be a, a good time to to jump on in and catch up on that and of course there are the companion damnation podcasts as well from ourselves as well as the other podcasters involved you can head on over to defenders tv podcast.com and look for 
the damnation episodes of Doctor Strange. I'd also highly recommend reading uh, Loki, Sorcerer Supreme as well, uh, a book where yeah. Loki becomes the Sorcerer Supreme, quite obviously, but that does give you a good background on Doctor Strange and on our wonderful bats as well. So uh, so definitely check that out if you want some further reading of Doctor Strange and that version of Doctor Strange, because we might be seeing a lot more of them when we get back next month with our next issue of uh, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. But one, only one thing left for this episode. John, to defend this issue of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, part five. And breathe. <laughs> I, know. I really do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. I give this... A 4.5 scalpels of Strange out of 5. Nice. Uh, This was really, really nice. Um, Again, the artwork, fantastic. But you're left with two Doctor Strangers, two for the price of one issue. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see what the possibilities are in the next issue of Mark Wade and Jesus Seuss' run on Doctor Strange. It is really interesting. We get Kana as well um, coming back into Stephen's life. I really hope she sticks around, actually. I know she didn't really want to risk her life saving this planet that she'd never been on, but hopefully she visits for a while and, and, and hangs around with Stephen Strange. We have Bats as well, who who also you know reveals this uh, jaw-dropping moment for, for Doctor Strange fans. And, of course, then we have him learning his new skills. Mm -hmm. And it's great to get a new magical object that Stephen can use, as well as seeing him learn that new skill and just how it relates back to uh, this character's history uh, from all the other previous uh, Doctor Strange issues and, you know, his history, his origin, all that. Really, really nicely done. Absolutely fantastic seal of Vishanti over the earth. Absolutely defend this issue of Doctor Strange. Excellent. I've been really enjoying it as well. So, so looking forward to talking about more Doctor Strange next month when we come back with Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy Part 6. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Two Doctor Strangers. Yes. Going to have a quick break just here and then we'll be back with Web of Venom. Venom. Guest starring Nick Fury Sr. And Wolvie. I hear a lot of people saying the blues, the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues. When you ain't got no money, and we're back. Yes, we are back as we continue our double header our bumper episode of Strange Tales uh, with Web of Venom, Venom, guest starring Nick Fury Sr. and Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's the reason we covered it, John. had a special request to him to allow me to cover a Nick Fury Sr. book since we saw one out there. So we thought we'd do it on a double header on the Strange Tales books. Yes. Is it Venom or is it just Venom? Venom, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's Venom. 
So bear with me if I keep going Vnam. The apostrophe certainly uh, has me pronouncing it that way, but I, it probably is a slight riff on Venom Vnam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, there I go again. Venom Venom. Yes, exactly. I think that's the fun. Of it. <laughs> Always fun to have a little play on words as a title of an episode. But John, we're switching it around since we're doing a Nick Fury episode, part of Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. Do you want to give us the details of this issue? Who wrote it and all the details behind it? Certainly. And of course, we have the Supremes on the Doctor Strange, but I think it could be the Furies. It has to be the Furies. Yes. So fellow Defenders and the Furies, this issue uh, came out on the 29th of August uh, of this year. Yes, it's written by Donny Cates, who did the Damnation series of Doctor Strange, as well as Loki, Sorcerer Supreme, as well as a awful lot more loads and loads of stuff and the artwork for this issue is by Juanan Ramirez and coloring is by Philippe Sobrerio uh, so yeah this yeah. um is a standalone kind of issue that links into the the Venom series here that is um taking place and it's a little bit of a flashback obviously to the Vietnam war between Vietnam and the US so Without further ado, Derek, from page one of this issue, what is the synopsis? What have we got? Well, Danny Cates describes where we are in the world as this book kicks off with Web of Venom. Eddie Brock bonded with an aggressive alien organism called a symbiote, granting him a multitude of unique abilities, as well as a predilection for extreme violence, tempered only by Eddie's sense of justice and humanity. Until recently, Eddie believed his symbiote to be the first to arrive on Earth. However, the discovery of an ancient symbiote known as the Grendel and former host Rex Strickland, a Vietnam veteran, turned that belief on its head. But how did the symbiote find its way into a war zone? Yes, a war zone. And certainly it is a big war zone here in Mm -hmm. this issue. Uh, We would go on to our top five points here. All spoiler-filled for this issue. So if you want to read this issue of uh, Web of Venom, Venom, then please uh, go off and read it as soon as you can. And then come and listen to our companion piece, mm-hmm. dare I say it. So bullet point one, why cover this one? You know, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, big thing for me is that I'm a huge fan of Nick Fury. He's my first and favorite comic book character. Are you really? Yeah. Are you a really big fan? Yeah. Huge fan. Huge fan. As, yeah. as big, if not a bigger fan of his as you are of Doctor Strangers. So yeah. he is my my uh, favorite comic book character. And this one, the reason why we're covering this one is it's the most recent appearance of Nick Fury Sr. We've seen a few books where Nick Fury Jr. has appeared uh, across the across the board, but he usually comes in as a very small player in those books. This time we wanted to start us out looking at the version of Nick Fury who shared the book strange tales with dr strange um, absolutely so it's a good a good way to start out we'll definitely be covering some versions of the new nick fury younger nick fury nick fury jr most of the time he's just called nick fury to be honest um <laughs> yep. but want to also say a huge thanks for rebecca hart who pointed out that nick was in this particular issue it's the reason i picked it up the fact that donny cates who's written some fantastic arcs of dr strange so far that i've read it was writing this seems like he's been involved in so many books out there that it may have passed me over if I didn't know that Nick was going to be in this one. Yeah, it's a nice little tie in that. And I have to say, you know, I didn't know that there was Nick Fury Jr., Senior, Kindergarten Cop, maybe type of Nick Fury as well. Um, 
But your Nick Fury as well is S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury, or is he Howling Commandos Nick Fury, or is he both? Because to me, this had certainly an element of Howling Commandos just because of the war setting, Mm -hmm. even though he was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this episode. So, yeah, it's kind of really interesting that you got both sides, both flavors, I thought, of of Nick Fury in in this comic, which was nice as well. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, I'm definitely much bigger fan of Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I've got loads of Howling Commandos books as well. So we may talk about one of them in the notes. Yeah, and weirdly, that was my introduction to Nick Fury, was with the Howling Commandos that was done as kind of like maybe three or four pages inserted into uh, British comics oh, uh, that were on sale. That it, You know, it kind of popped in, and it, it was generally the Howling Commandos uh, and wartime Nick Fury battling the Nazis that I really... Uh, first saw Nick Fury and didn't really make the connection uh, until a lot later, obviously, with reading Strange Tales, that this Nick Fury in S.H.I.E.L.D. was the same uh, Nick Fury. So, uh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of wartime, let's get on to our bullet point number two. Predator-like attacks in the prologue, I think. Yep, you took the words straight out of my mouth. Yeah, this is so like predator um i loved it Mm -hmm. um i was expecting arnold schwarzenegger to to kind of pop up and dare i say it i was slightly uh reading this in an you know an schwarzenegger type austrian accent uh, (laughs) in some points uh yeah really reminiscent of the predator certainly this symbiote looks like an alien like the Predator. Um, it is an alien. Slightly new designs, I think, for the symbiote. Yeah, yeah. yeah there is, isn't there? I'm used to seeing the big white eyes of Venom and the big uh, unfurling tongue and uh, and bitey teeth. <laughs> you know, that, that standard look that you see with the spider across the front of the chest. You know, that standard look for Venom. Uh, these are the first symbiotes, really, that were created uh, and are shown off in this one where they have a kind of a red spiral for eyes in here. And they do look really creepy. You can really feel it on the page coming out uh, how scared these survivors are when they feel like they're being stalked by these predator-like aliens. Um, It really comes out really well. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good, that sense of fear that comes from the soldiers that have kind of just been picked off one by one. They think it's the Viet Cong, Mm -hmm. when in fact it's these symbiotes um, which are so much more... Uh, scary but actually they're there for a reason in that they have been uh, deployed by the u.s here because we see really right up front straight after this attack on the u.s soldiers in the jungle that uh, nick fury and shield are in scandinavia at what they think is kind of a dinosaur uh, but it turns out to be an alien mm-hmm. and then they take samples back to shield headquarters to really test to see what it, this this stuff is mm-hmm. um they test it on a mouse which certainly gets violent pretty quickly um, <laughs> it looks like it destroys every other mouse in the testing lab what i love about this moment that it goes to this image of nick fury appearing in scandinavia is that it's like as if that prologue that i read earlier on how did the symbiote find its way to a war zone and then the first page shows nick fury 
standing in Scandinavia and you go, well, that's how it got there because Nick Fury sent it to a war zone to kill everything. That's what Nick Fury does. You know, it really did feel like it was just answering the question that it posed. I love this, the positioning of that. Yeah, I mean, it really shows that, you know, Nick Fury will absolutely test everything and anything, um, you know, in effect, putting these American soldiers in harm's way. You know, they've been sent in to combat the Viet Cong, you know, to win this war. And ultimately, maybe they just didn't experiment enough in S.H.I.E.L.D. to see quite how this symbiote would react with the Marines that they have purposefully infected with the symbiote to create super soldiers, effectively, um, of a different form to Steve Rogers so that they can win this war against the Viet Cong. Yeah, you see, loads of twists and turns in this book, and that's what I really love about it, what I really enjoyed reading it. Um, Let's get on to bullet point number three, Fury recruiting Logan, or Wolverine, to go and find his men that he sent there, I suppose. Um, I love that as we get that introduction with Logan sitting across from Fury, the first thing, the first words that come out of his mouth really are, I knew you would test it on humans, you know? (laughs) When did you start the human tests, effectively? We find out about Rex Strickland, one of the members of the army that that got the first test on him. He's the leader of this team that have disappeared. Uh, They've been deployed in Vietnam to take out the Viet Cong. um, And what we find out is that they wipe out everything in sight. I love that moment where you see (laughs) the arrival of Logan and Nick into that area of the jungle, and they go... There's not a noise here. Everything has been destroyed. There's nothing left, you know, as if all the bugs and all the animals and all the creatures just disappeared from here. Well, absolutely. Like, it it is that they don't only wipe out the Viet Cong, but they wipe out the American military in equal measure Mm -hmm. and presumably the wildlife as well. Uh, Luckily, the trees are still there because they're not vegetarian. Yes. Uh, But certainly, yeah. I love as well how... Logan really has the measure of of Nick Fury of as course. well here. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. And of course, Rex Strickland is also known as Tyrannosaur. Yes, he's called Tyrannosaur in this issue. Yeah, they have it have titled as AKA Tyrannosaur. So I think that might be his call sign. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like something from Top Gun where we had Tom Cruise's character as Maverick, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, okay, yeah. I was thinking it was something else that goes deeper back into the lore of Nick Fury comics, but obviously not. No, I think this is the first appearance of Rex uh, Strickland that we've seen as well. Perfect, so this okay. Is, this is the first, the origin story of the symbiote more than, more than anything else. So, uh, But quite cool. You know, we do get this relationship with Nick and Logan, one that I've always really enjoyed. They're two kind of old men in the sea of Marvel <laughs> characters that never age. Uh, they're the ones that always age and get more and more grizzled and more and more pissed off at other people and then each other. Yeah. And then they come back and they join up together, you know, but they've always had a good relationship. And I suppose what's most important about it is that Logan has gone through so many wars himself over time. He's met so many people like Fury. He still works with them because he knows when a job needs to get done, Nick wouldn't call him unless he really needed Logan and really needed that version of him. So I love seeing the interplay between these two guys. I think they cut through the BS, don't they, really, in such a a great way, which you only kind of put down to the experience and and that they've had uh, and, you know, that passage of time Mm -hmm. in in terms of what they've experienced. And and it really provides, like, a level of history to these two characters, the way they describe their experiences, the way they, you know, they almost are so 
distrustful of one another uh, because they know that that they're going to do their own things. They know that they're really independent uh, people that will do what they need to do to get the job done. And that is where they come together uh, as having that similarity. They will get the job done. They do look slightly detached on the world in, in some respects. Mm -hmm. Their interaction is, is, is fantastic. Uh, but whilst they're, they're tracking the symbiotes, they find uh, Rex alive uh, and try to save him. Great big battle here with all of a sudden... The, what is it? It's about five symbiotes coming out of the trees, yeah. coming to attack them. Um, and of course, surprise, surprise, Fury likes to use his LMDs uh, quite a lot. And again, he has uh, used it here. He has sent an LMD uh, with Logan uh, instead of himself. Yes. Not, not a huge shocker. Not uh, really. Whenever we see the life model decoys of Nick Fury, it's not a huge surprise to have it. The bigger reveal comes probably a little bit later. But I do like Logan's reaction to it <laughs> yeah. when he goes, it's an LMD, it's a life model decoy, which is just a fancy way of saying coward because Nick always hides behind his technology to protect himself and the world. Is, is kind of his attitude and you know he is my favorite character so i'm not going to criticize him too much for that um you know because obviously logan also hides behind the fact that he can regenerate from pretty much anything which is why he's the right man to be sent in on this mission is because even if he gets ripped apart give him a couple of hours and he'll probably put himself back together so uh, but i do like that kind of interplay between the two of them um bullet point number four john yes the reveal that it was all shield's fault Ooh, yeah yes. shield is not the good guy in in this case. Mm. It, it's it's their fault that they have been deployed in in Vietnam, mm -hmm. but it's their fault that the symbiotes have gone the way they've gone. We have that great moment. It's really good where Logan bonds with one of the monsters, and effectively their true story, their real story, uh, is passed and transferred through to Logan, where. He finds out that, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. have just continued experimentation after experimentation, test after test on how to kill these these symbiotes mm -hmm. and ultimately has driven this uh, sentient organism absolutely uh, insane because of it having a hive mind here. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, each time it spawned the new... Uh, organism, the new symbiote, remembers what S.H.I.E.L.D. has done to it, the pain of the hosts that have carried it. Uh, so really, really interesting stuff. Here. Yeah, yeah. And I love how it's told. Again, great choice here to have Logan confront Fury, tell him that he knows the story, and then the flip of the story that you see, it's actually Rex is revealing what happened on the island to Nick because he did actually get out. We see that the monster as... Uh, Logan's calling it the monster protects Rex bonds with him again to protect him from the explosion that was rigged in the LMD by Nick to destroy all of the symbiotes and all everything to do with them the way that he thought was going to happen we see that uh, they've also saved the other members of Rex Rex's crew Rex's team um, they've been brought back and just put into cryogenic freezing Oh, that's a great way to freeze your problem till we'll sort it out later. Yeah. Mm, that's probably not going to be a great choice from Nick Fury. But Rex's one, Rex's monster, Rex's symbiote has disappeared. And Rex is being employed to go after the suit, as they were calling it. 
Yeah, I, I like uh, the fact that this, you know, is still out there, this suit, um, and that they've got Rex in to, to hunt it down mm-hmm. and, and to find this missing suit and symbiote. Uh, really, really good. Um, I, I love the fact here that Nick claims that he'll do it all again tomorrow uh, if it saves Earth. He has no regrets here. He really does just power through uh, the guilt that he potentially could have uh, and is absolutely that master of taking those hard, tough decisions. Uh, And as he says, he will do it all over again. But he is obviously concerned that this suit is out there mm-hmm. um, and that it will get into the wrong hands. Maybe Hydra, maybe AIM, uh, maybe someone else. But, you know, I, I do like this. And I like that he recruits Rex back in after the, all this time to to go on the hunt for the suit. Yeah, yeah. Army man joining S.H.I.E.L.D. just like Nick himself when he got the first proposal to come and be director of shield um he was a cia agent he was a member of the army and then just wins the award of director of shield effectively yeah from from tony stark back in the 60s in this case for web of venom it's set in 1966 kind of cool considering the first appearance of nick fury as agent of shield was in strange tales 135 which came out in august 1965 kind of cool that they have this character at the end of the book getting his shield badge and becoming a member of shield to go on the hunt for the suit I do like that they kind of are referencing the fact that it's not actually a suit. That is the symbiote. The symbiote itself is on the loose. So even if it doesn't get into the hands of another company like Hydra or AIM, it still could be going on the attack. It still could be slaughtering people. It's a a mind of its own going out and taking revenge. Exactly. It's that kind of idea that the symbiote was humans mm-hmm. uh, or it, it looks like it envelops them like you know a piece of clothing yeah so it's a, it's a nice little touch absolutely i think on to bullet point five yeah, yeah. and that the art by juanan ramirez and philippe sobrario yeah is really really good i i really loved this um not only the setting but i really like the colors uh within this it's really kind of muted it feels like it's a washed out film mm-hmm. in a sense of that era being rediscovered. And I think that's really, really nice. And I think certainly with the symbiotes as well, there's that element of horror and creepiness that is brought in here, which is really, really good. You know, big fan of horror. And it's really good to see that introduced uh, into this comic as well, that that horror element. Um, yeah. You know, the, the symbiotes are done in a way that feel menacing they're black but they've got a kind of a red outline to their face and yeah just the idea that they are are hidden it's kind of that idea of you know if you see 10 percent of what sees you in the jungle then you're lucky yeah. and it's this idea that predator like they hide and then just suddenly they're surrounding you and you've got no way out. Um, And I think that moment where you get that sense right at the start of this issue with the American soldiers under attack, not knowing what it is, you know, you're all thinking it's probably the Viet Cong and then it's these symbiotes. Uh, Really, really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I love how, how cinematic the panels are put together in this book. Obviously having a prologue at the beginning of a book, which ends with the jaws of one of the symbiotes about to close down on the head of who you think could be your narrator for the book and then it cuts to 
neither of them in the scene and just a scream. You know, it's perfect. You know, 30 Days at Night would be a good example of it. Perfect Predator, perfect alien kind of uh, riff on those types, but now set in the comic book world. You know, really, really cool to have this uh, together. I'm probably going to be checking out uh, this book in future to see if we see some more appearances of Rex and see if we see more appearances of this hunt for the suit that's gone missing. Um, Probably not going to be covering it on the podcast because I think the setup of uh, Rex working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and the setup of the fact that this is all Nick Fury's fault uh, means we're probably not going to see much of him in the books in future. But um, but I'll probably just check it out and see see how it goes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So mm-hmm. with that, Derek, do you defend this issue of Venom or Venom Web of Venom? <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this issue. I don't normally score books, but I think this is probably a four out of five eye patches for me uh, as a little nod to Nick Fury. Um, probably because it came out of nowhere for me. I wasn't expecting um, that this book was coming at all. If it hadn't been for our friend Rebecca Harris telling us this was coming up, I'd have no idea that it was out there. Um, I'm not a huge Venom fan, but I love horror comic books. I'm a huge Nick Fury fan and having Wolvie in there with Nick Fury, always a great fun ride for me and having the creation of Venom, the first appearance of this character of Venom, where did that original symbiote come from? Cool idea, really enjoyed it, and I didn't feel like I was missing anything by not knowing much about the character of Venom. So I hope you've checked it out since we've just done our spoiler-filled review of it. John, overall, what what did you think of the issue? Yeah, really enjoyed this issue. I would definitely defend this issue of Web of Venom, uh, Venom. In fact, it's a little shame that it's not kind of focusing on that whole era and that moment in the jungle um, for the next couple of issues. I really enjoyed the horror. If I was to score this, it would definitely be a 4.5 LMDs. I loved the the wartime setting. I'm always a big fan of of Nick Fury. You know, for me, he is Doctor Strange's uh, roomie. And uh, (laughs) I really, really enjoyed... uh, this for sure. Uh, I again, as you say, big horror fan. Love horror comics, so that is a nice touch here that you get. And of course, Wolverine. You know, having Wolverine and Fury have that moment together is always really great to see. So yeah, I would definitely defend this issue of Web of Venom. Excellent, excellent, and. Four and a half cowards out of five, he said. Yes, four and a half LMDs out of five. Cowards, nice. (laughs) I think on to some notes that you've got. Yeah, just some general notes uh, about the issue. Nothing particularly to to pick up after this. Uh, Rex will be in the next issue of Web of Venom, uh, issue two. I think that comes out on the 19th of August as well. Uh, Go ahead and read that. Um, Sergeant Fury and the Highland Commanders are basically the characters where World War II set heroes. They did go to Vietnam in a one-off king-sized special number three, which I have in my comic box over here. I'm going to have to pull that out and check it out. If you like a more adult take on Nick Fury, the manipulating side of Nick Fury highly recommend checking out the Fury Max series by Garth Ennis and Goran Parlov. It's one that I'm hoping to put on our list to cover sometime in the future, but um, it was set, but part of the book was set in French Indochina, which does go on to become Vietnam and create a lot of the issues that happen in Vietnam. So you see that Nick Fury had actually got a bit of a hand with some other people involved in the creation of some of these nations that became the biggest challenges for America in the future. Uh, a much more real-world setting for this this book of Fury. Uh, it still had some superhero powers in there as well, as usual, but, uh, but a really interesting adult version of 
things that Fury does that have significant consequences for the world after uh, he was around. So yeah, highly I recommend that. Definitely. I've always enjoyed the Max series mm-hmm. uh, of Marvel Comics. Uh, so, yeah, that is one to check out for sure. Yeah. And finally, obviously, if you've never seen the movies that we referenced on here, a movie like Aliens rather than Alien is probably the one that's referenced in here pretty often. The original Predator movie that, are, that John mentioned with Arnie, there's a brand new one coming out, I think, next week over here with... Uh, a new gang of people being hunted down by predators. Uh, so I think there was a couple of little references in there uh, to that. But um, but definitely highly recommend going out and seeing those if you haven't seen them. Even if you haven't seen them in a while and you want just that feeling uh, that you got reading this book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great stuff. Remember fellow defenders and the Supremes and Furies. Uh, you can send us in feedback on any of these comics that we've covered. We really hope you're uh, getting involved and reading these. You can send over a voicemail over at our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can also leave us an email at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And of course, you can head on over to our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast yet we can't wait to see you there over on the facebook group and of course as always please stay subscribed to defenders tv podcast.com just head on over to the subscribe area and join your furious or polite podcast catcher of choice Definitely. Thanks so much for joining us for this one. Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast comes out at least once a month, uh, currently covering the Doctor Strange Mark Wade run. So we'll definitely have issue six of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy uh, coming out next month uh, after we've finished our coverage of Iron Fist on Netflix. And before we start our coverage of Daredevil season three, we think we don't know what date that's actually coming out. But if you want to just hear our comic book podcasts, you can find them under uh, Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast as well. Yeah. As always, fellow Defenders, Supremes and Furies, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. And of course, we'll be back with the next episode of Strange Tales very, very soon. Do you like my Arnie impression there? Ah, curse me for a novice. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.